Hello, my name is Shane Brody. I'm a new host here on KWRK. I have a show called Fairbanks Public Affairs. And basically, I'm going to cover some social and political issues, whatever's happening here in Fairbanks. I just like to talk to community members. So if you're a community member, if you're you know, some sort of expert, if you are a somebody who's an activist, if you are with an organization, or if you're not, you know, come in and talk to me. If you're fishing and you notice that the fishing is off this year, if you're part of an activist organization that is working on a big campaign and you have something that is going on with the state, some sort of milestone or something like that, come on in. Let's talk about it. And my contact information is Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at kwrk.org. Once again, Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at kwrk.org. And today I'm with somebody who works in geology, and they are also an activist, which I think is pretty cool, actually, because I have a geology background just a little bit. I got my geology uh, bachelor's degree over here at UAF. I finished it here. I'm also somewhat of an activist, but I, ha I am not a long-term resident here, and I've kind of moved back and forth between here and the lower 48, so I'm not quite sure what's going on recently, and I know there's a lot of mining projects that are being proposed and in the process of being permitted, et cetera, and there's also some pushback. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who is involved in the group Save Our Domes, and uh, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself. Hello. Uh, thank you, Shane. My name is Sarah Henschen. I have lived in Fairbanks for 12 years, and I just really love it here. I think Fairbanks is a gem. And Why did you originally move up here? Well, I grew up in Texas, grew up in Houston, Texas. And oh, I lived in Texas, in Houston, Texas when I was a teenager. Yes, mm -hmm. it's I wanted to get as far away from Texas as I could. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had a uh, I had a Greyhound bus ticket that I bought, uh, and I was either Maine or uh, Seattle. So I went to Seattle. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wow, on the Greyhound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the early 90s, so it, there was a good music scene in Seattle. Oh. So I was like, oh, I'm going up there. Yeah, we, uh, my husband and I uh, sold everything and packed up our our old white pickup yes. truck and drove up in February. Wow, oh. And we had never been here. Up we, here to Alaska in February. Up to Fairbanks oh, in my February. Goodness. That's really adventurous. And I've been on the Alcan in early March, but not February. Yes, it was exciting, especially for people who had never, who grew up in the South. My husband right. grew up in the South. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and Alaska is a bit different. Was there was there was there snow on the ground? Were you doing your first like snow driving then? Yes. So there was snow on the ground, but funny enough, the only, you know, really bad weather we had on the whole trip was in the panhandle of Texas. There was oh. a snowstorm and it was whiteout conditions. Oh wow. Yeah, and the well it's easy to get white out there because there's no trees or anything. Right. So it's right. just flat. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I actually was in snow once for one afternoon in 1988 in Houston, Texas. It, snow came down and then it immediately just melted. But it was fun when it came down just for that little bit. I know, snow yeah. is magic. Even up here, I yeah. still, every time it snows, I yeah. wanna go outside and run around in it. <laughs> yes, I, I even love it when my, I know it's a little bit of a hazard, but my 
my headlights are going through like the ice fog. It's just really sparkly and beautiful. <laughs> I know it's very hazardous, but you know, you're driving home, you have to go through it. And, but I appreciate the beauty of it as well. So anyway, so uh, I was wondering if you could tell me about Save Our Domes and how you got involved with it. Yeah. yeah some, some background information on that. Yeah. yeah. So Save Our Domes was already kind of a, a small organization when I came in. Mm. They started off either as Save Esther Dome. Yes. That's how I heard about it. Yes. I was living at the end of Gold Hill Road, so I was near Esther there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So they kind of came, to, came into being because of some... I believe it was Dermot Cole Mm. who wrote an article about some... He's a citizen journalist, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote an article about some of the permits that Felix, well, I believe it was, excuse me, Mill Rock, which is an exploration company, had applied for Mm. on Esther Dome. Okay. And so he wrote an article about that, and a lot of people read his articles. And just to... just kind of thinking about the geography there Esther Dome what is the relation to that to where people are living like in Esther you know Esther proper the the town right so so the mental health trust lands that were being applied for and and I'll get into exactly what mental health trust is in a minute but but first I want to talk about where these are because that is critical that's really important information so these lands were on the north side of Esther Dome kind of towards the bottom okay so more more of like in the Goldstream Valley okay all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and but still, you know, that's that's nobody wants a mine in their backyard, right. and that makes us, you know, NIMBYs, not in my backyard. But you know, no one should have a mine in their backyard. Okay, so there's fundamentally two different types of mining. There's placer mining and there's hard rock mining. Placer mining is when you're trying to find gold or platinum or silver or, you know, a variety of different heavy minerals that have been concentrated in a riverbed. Mm. So what happens... So they're eroded out of the rock by the river. Well, so uh, close. Okay. They are eroded out of the rock by just your regular weathering. Okay. And then many what, processes there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Glaciers, etc. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And it can take you know thousands of years. Mm. It, it can take it can take a while for these processes to, you know, appropriately accumulate these minerals into a riverbed to make them economically viable. Okay. So you know, just because you have a little bit of gold or a little bit of silver doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a mine. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to or be able... it's, Or that it's local. Exactly. It could be way up river or something. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And Fairbanks is actually really cool. Uh, well, geologically speaking, uh, Fairbanks is very interesting because we have a lot of what are called paleoplasters. Hmm. So these are uh, river channels that were formed a long time ago that are not currently rivers right but the hills around fairbanks the hills and ridges are gold bearing Mm. and so what had happened in fairbanks is you had you know these guys coming in looking for gold and honestly plaster mining is a lot easier and a lot cheaper than hard rock mining depending well you need dynamite for 
for hard rock. You do. Yeah. You do. So hard rock mining, gold can form in a couple different ways. You can have it concentrated in veins. Mm. And so there are some historic gold mines in Fairbanks, and they were basically trying to mine out these high-grade veins. Sure. Now what and we... The, were those ones that were kind of coming to the surface? Or... That's right. Okay. That's right. And mm. so that's where you... That's kind of your... If you think of, you know, the old-style mining, you have a hole, you have an adit, yeah. and it's real narrow, it's got timber frames, sure. you go in there with your pickaxe and your lamp and maybe your canary and your... Oh, no. <laughs> Is that true? It was really? true. It okay. was true. Mining is very dangerous. Yeah. And um, just a public service announcement, if you ever find an old abandoned mine for the, just please do not go in it. Right. Do not. I know it's really tempting, yes. but you don't know what's going to be in there. You don't know how stable it is. And it is very common that there is a buildup mm. of toxic gases. If somebody does find something like that, what would they do? Would they report it to the state? Or? They would. Okay. They would. Okay. Yes, because uh, the part of the closure of a mine is to prevent people from going in. They, right. It needs to be secured. Right. And most of them properly are, mm -hmm. um, at least in Alaska. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a lot, uh, like in Nevada, that mm. can be a problem there, yeah. especially because it's a desert. Oregon as well. Yes. And what happens there is that you have vegetation that grows over it, and then people go hiking, and then they fall in, basically. Or they're very concerned about water quality, so water coming off of those and then entering surface water is, is also a problem. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, I have worked at a gold mine down by Juno called the Kensington Gold Mine. Oh, and okay. one of my projects one summer was actually to go. So when you were a geologist, you were going towards being like a mineral, like a, yes. like a gold mineral geologist? Yeah. So one of the. What do they call that? Economic geology? They okay, do economic. call it economic okay. geology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So actually, one of the main reasons why I moved to Fairbanks is because UAF has an economic geology program. Yes. There's only. I think maybe a handful of universities in the entire United States right. that have those programs. Probably Colorado School of Mines, I would imagine. Colorado yeah. School of Mines. There's uh, one in Nevada. I think there's yeah. there's one in. Um, Did you ever study with Roger Newberry, by the way? He was my advisor, yeah. <laughs> and yes. he is. I love him. <laughs> oh, he is fantastic. He is a treasure. Yeah, he, is he a really treasure. is. He really is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I I actually finished my undergraduate up here. Okay. And oh, you too. <laughs> yes. Well, my husband he he finished his degree, and mm -hmm. I just could not wait to get out of Texas. Okay. I really I was like it's so hot because <laughs> yeah, we yeah. were we were in Lubbock, which is almost in the Panhandle. Right. And the last summer we were there, we had 10 consecutive days where it didn't get – the high was above 102. Oh, no. And there's no shade there. Oh, yeah, I know. It's just yeah. awful. Yeah. So, well, is Lubbock, is that like where all those big stockyards and all that are? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, I've been through there and it's like you can smell it for a really long way. Yes, if the yeah. wind is blowing in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And then they also get a lot of dust storms there, which okay. were quite interesting as long as you don't have to go anywhere. Right. 
Right. Well, I can imagine what was in what was in the air. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, it's, you know, from a geology perspective, it's pretty interesting. You're riding your bike and you can feel that the larger sediments are down at your feet. And then the, the finer sediments sure. are up by your head, you sure. know. So, hey, you know, you got your stratification of uh, that's right. Of particles. Well, we also have that here in Fairbanks, right? Because we do have the inversion. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which yes. keeps particulates nearer us than than the normal usually you know places will have a lot of wind and stuff will be carried away here in Fairbanks we don't have that although honestly if Fairbanks did get a lot of wind in the winter time I don't think I could live here (laughs) (laughs) that would just be too cold (laughs) I know whenever I tell people about the temperatures when I'm down the lower 48 I always mention that that's an absolute temperature that doesn't have to do with you know the the wind chill or whatever because in the lower 48 they always add the wind to it, you know, because they have significant wind. So I'm just like, nope, negative 40, negative 50, you know, absolute no wind, you know. Right. Yeah. And and that's, you know, I, I was it this last winter, even if there's like a five mile an hour breeze, it's just like it makes such a big difference. Yeah, it just cuts right through your clothes. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's why uh, those... Um, what is it? The snowmobiling clo- clothing, like they're always like windproof, like really yeah. heavily. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so you mentioned that you came up here because of gold mining yes. or mineral mineral extraction, yes. economic geology. So a uh, little bit of a little bit of more family background for me. Yeah. I'm actually a third generation geologist. Okay, there you go. And so <laughs> my grandfather, my mother, I have uh, aunts and uncles and lots of cousins who are actually all geologists. Oh, wow. And there's a lot of different flavors of geology. Yeah. Some of them are hydrologists. Some of them are structural geologists. Um, mm-hmm. So my grandfather and my mother and, and several of my other family members work in the oil industry. Okay, yeah. And so that's, that's why you were all in Exactly. Texas. Okay. That's why we were all yeah. in Houston. Yeah. And I knew from a pretty, pretty early on that I didn't want to be in the oil industry. Mm. Um, I don't want to live in Houston. Right. I I call it the armpit of Texas. Oh God. <laughs> I do miss I do miss the food. Oh yeah. And oh, the yeah. shopping. And the diversity down there is just incredible. Yes. Yes. People from all over the world live in Houston. It's, yes. It's, it's, it's great. Did you ever go down to Galveston, by the way? And there's a reason why I mentioned that. Okay. Uh, yes, I have. I've okay. been, we would go down on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. It, it used to be, it was like a Victorian resort area. There's some old buildings there. and But, you know, with the oil refineries off the coast, what you get is you get tar balls on the beach. So if you go swimming there, you'll actually get that on your skin and your clothes and that sort of thing. It's not that great. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, we we would only go down there if it. You we didn't go to Galveston to swim. Yes. let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to swim, we would go to South Padre Island, oh, sure. which is a much longer drive. Yeah, that's way way south. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. We would we would drive because uh, uh, in Texas you can drive on the beaches. Yeah, right. And you can camp too. Yes, and yeah. that's what we would do. Mm-hmm. We would mm-hmm. pack up, and I 
my parents were insane. They took toddlers camp. You know, I they took me camping when I was three months old. Oh, I, I mean, understand. My parents were teachers, so every summer was camping. And you, you're going to have fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. You are going to have fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. But, you know, we would uh, we would go camping there every summer, and I distinctly remember a couple times. Did that, you not like camping, by the way? <laughs> oh, I do, but camping on the beach is a whole okay. other beast because we're out there for, like, a week and a half. Okay. And you have to bring all of your fresh water. Right. You get sand. No shade. No shade. You yes. have to bring your shade. Yes. Uh, you get sand everywhere sure I understand. it gets like in the sunscreen bottle oh gross yeah oh. yeah and oh, no. um but you know making driftwood forts and exploring oh, yes. the dunes yeah. and the bioluminescence and, at night and the the beaches down there are incredible because they there's those are flight areas for the birds as yes. well yeah um but also we would have people coming up from mexico mm-hmm. walking up along the beach yeah. and we would they would have almost nothing and you mm. just give them as much water as you can oh yeah wow. yeah so i mean and this was back this was back in the 90s yeah it wasn't super common but you know it was i never felt Scared. It yeah. was just like these poor people needed right water right. because it's there's no fresh water there. Right. Yeah, yeah and that kind of ties to a, lo- uh, a an issue going on right now. They're trying to build kind of these barriers in freshwater areas where people cross. Yeah. And which it is restricting people from actually drinking water and they're crossing deserts and that sort of thing. So it's really that's a huge humanitarian issue. Sometimes I wish that the international humanitarian organizations would look more closely at what happens here in the United States. I know that we're the hegemon, you know, internationally, but uh, I think we need to be looked at a lot more carefully and be pushed about some of these issues. Well, anyway, let's let's get back to our local humanitarian issue or a potential one. Um, so you were talking about your, your background in geology and what attracted you to this area. So um, so you graduate. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually had an internship with my undergraduate. Oh, uh, I great. interned at the Kensington That's, Mine. That I must say that is one of the strengths of UAF is yes. there are very good internships. There's, there's lots of opportunities for undergraduates to get research experience. Yes. No, that was a huge, huge selling point. And I still believe that UAF is, you know, unfortunately, with all the funding cuts, there's been a lot of reduction and a lot of these opportunities. But I still believe that, you know, we I wanted a research university and there's a lot of strong ties to state agencies and industry. And there's if you want if you're capable and you want an internship, they you will get an internship. Yeah. Or go out on a research ship, go, exactly. go out in the field, way out in the mountains. I mean, UAF is great for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I was interested in, in economic geology because uh, for, for a couple of reasons, I uh, was actually 
I did an internship at Kensington, which is a gold mine, mm-hmm. but it's a little, it's a kind of a unique gold mine. So their gold mm. doesn't occur as native gold. It occurs as a mineral calaverite, mm. which is A-U-T-E-2. So it's gold and tellurium. Okay. And and so that, that makes it geochemically interesting. Mm. And, and so I really kind of leaned into the geochemistry. So with that uh, interesting combination, is it easy to map then? Uh, it doesn't necessarily make it easy to map, but there are extraction issues. Okay. So, for example, the Kensington mine, they do not process the ore completely there. Basically, mm. what they do is they concentrate it, okay. and then they sell that concentrate to like China or I can't remember who their other buyers are okay. because to process that ore, they have to roast it. Oh. And it's sulfide rich, so you're creating a lot of sulfuric acid. Oh no. Yes. And does that go into the air? Where does that go? It does go into the air and they actually try to recover it because they use sulfuric acid in industrial settings. Okay. But mm-hmm. it's still a very dirty, environmentally hazardous process. Yeah. I think over the last few decades, we've shifted some of our industrial burdens, right, our pollution burdens, to places like China. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly, because Kensington is actually in a national forest as well. It's in the Tongass National Forest. Okay. And, you know, it took them, what was it, over 25 years to get the permits for that. Oh, yeah. But they did get the permits. Okay. So the state of Alaska is is kind of like, you know, as long as you can make the concessions we want, we can let you mine there. Okay. So very tenacious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of money and and a lot a lot of work, but they were able to get it. And I started working there. They had only... At, at what point do people say no, though? I mean, at what point does the state say no, I guess? Maybe that's a question you can answer later. <laughs> well, the right now, the biggest uh, fight that is kind of ongoing is Pebble. Mm, right, right. And that's an example of how potentially things get stopped. Mm. And I don't know if you want my personal view. Absolutely. Okay. So I believe that Because that... this, this, also, this also affects like uh, native subsistence it rights does. and et cetera. And small businesses. It, I mean, the small business in Alaska is fishing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So um, Pebble is a massive copper resource. Okay. Massive. Yeah. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It may be 100 years from now. Okay. But it's mm. it that, that size of a copper deposit cannot be ignored. Mm. Mm. My only hope is that by the time they get around to mining it we have enough advanced technology that we do not have right now right that it will really minimize the environmental impacts right so i i I started working at kensington as an undergrad and i worked there as an intern and it was exhilarating Mm. honestly it was i loved as a geologist being underground and being Mm. completely surrounded by the structures and just seeing these that's so interesting oh yes these massive quartz veins and Mm. massive chunks of sulfide so pyrite and chalcopyrite it really was spectacular so you went from seeing something in your hand to seeing it like on a massive 
scale. Exactly. And it was really fascinating. Mm. And I was just, I was really drawn to just figuring out, you know, what this system was and Mm. where the elements are and how this formed. Yeah. Like, because like I said, it's a little, it's a little bit different because it has calaveri Mm -hmm. instead of native gold. Right. Um, So that was really, really interesting. And I did an undergraduate research project that I was able to turn into a master's project. And I... Awesome. Yes, which which is one of the strengths yes. of UAF, right. and that's why giving undergraduates the opportunity to do research is yeah. so important. Right, right. So, anyways, I was able to. I did this geochemical master's project at Kensington, and it took me a while to finish because it was just so. There's so many different aspects, and it was just so fascinating. It was a little hard to limit myself. But one of my last years, I actually worked as. How long did you did you work there, by the way? Oh, so I've I worked at Kensington actually as an employee for two summers. Okay. Um, but I was completely immersed in that deposit. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that's what I was working on for okay. my masters, and right. it took me four years to get my four and a half years to right. get my masters. So. Right. Yeah. No, I understand. So one of my last some my last summer uh, when I was working on my master's, I was a core logger at Pogo, mm. and I I actually love core logging. So core logging is when uh, they will take a drill, and they effectively extract a tube of rock, and the core logger. So it's kind of like a straw. Yeah, okay. yeah, and and the core logger will basically read the rocks. Mm. So you look at the rocks and you say, this is the type of rock it is. This is the type of alteration it has. Mm. These are, you know, and and each deposit's going to have different things that they're looking for. Okay. So uh, and like, there's, I, I'm I'm imagining some sort of metric along the side, like how deep this is. And, yeah, okay. and 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 so what they do is they'll give you, you know, this is the model of the deposit that we have currently. This this is where your drill hole is in that model, and we're expecting to see a vein at 300 feet okay. or, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And there, there, and there's different types of core logging. There's exploration core logging. There's production uh, mm. core logging, and core logging is really important to generate the data that these that the other geologists use to create the models. Okay, and so it's very important. And those are, I, I would imagine, like kind of the like these underground three-dimensional models exactly computer models exactly they sit in front of their computer all day looking at screens Mm -hmm. where the core loggers actually get to look at rocks Mm -hmm. and uh pogo was was pretty fun because they have visible gold there okay which means i got to look at gold every single day oh wow. wow so that was that was that part of it was really fun but both of these mines were They were remote mines, and so Mm. you lived at the mine, Mm -hmm. and that was quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, going up to Prudhoe Bay. You you go in for a few weeks, and then maybe you have some time off, and then you go back. Right, Yeah. right. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, you're living at the mine um, like two weeks on, one week off, or whatever your rotation is. So I only worked at Pogo for one summer, but it was was a lot of fun, you know, getting to look at different rocks. But I was just getting really burned out by the industry 
What do you mean by that? Burnt well, out? you know, I was there when Pogo got switched. It, it used to be a Japanese company, and then they got bought by, they sold it to an Australian company. Okay. Why, why is it that so many Australian companies are buying these these claims is it a claim that they're buying i mean what what are they buying well so yes so they're they're buying the deposit but they also buy all the data okay from the previous previous company yes and and that's exactly what is happening with exploration companies so i'll kind of talk a little bit about um how that's all set up so The United States does not have the financial system to generate the amount of investor-backed money for these exploration companies. Why is that? Because it seems like we give credit to anybody here. Yeah, I I don't know exactly why, Okay. but Canada and Australia do. Okay, so they have some sort of streamlined... Um, process and they, people can get their loans or credit or whatever it is. Exactly. Okay. And so a lot of these companies are based in Australia or uh, Canada, but they use local talent Okay. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the local deposits here. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're not in Australia. <laughs> no. And it was interesting because this Australian company, it was their first time operating in the United States. And oh. they mm. kind of needed some reminders that, hey, uh, yeah, I can't give you all of my, you know, we need all the medications you're taking. Mm. We need your full medical background. Okay. And it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you can't do that here. Okay. Because we have HIPAA. Yeah. For instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was just, it, it was, it was a little difficult. Um, it's also just difficult being away from family, and I knew I wanted to start a family, mm-hmm. and that you know, just with my family, with my husband's job, it would not have been possible for me to work a camp job okay, and have yeah. a child. Right. Yeah, that's very difficult. Yeah. Um, I know some people make it work, but yes. yeah, it's difficult. My husband, mm-hmm. my husband, he could have been a stay-at-home dad, right? But we decided he he actually enjoys his job, yeah. a lot, yeah. And there's a lot of flexibility. He works for the state, so yeah. most of the people that I know who have children and and whatnot, it's it's either uh, one spouse does stay at home, or um, or they just do they just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That choice. And mm-hmm. and I I wanted to start a family, and yeah. I was fortunate enough that I I was able to. Yeah. Um. And so I stepped back from the industry and kind of, especially having a child, kind of reevaluated mm. what my values were. Okay. Right. Right. And you know, gold is not a critical mineral. Mm. What do you mean by critical mineral? So critical minerals, uh, the United States has a list of minerals that say we need these for uh, like national security, for defense infrastructure. So copper, lead, zinc, mm. and then the rare earth elements mm-hmm. that are used in batteries and right. electronics. Right. Gold, Semiconductors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Now, gold is it is it does have some industrial uses Mm -hmm. Uh, gold has some specific qualities that make it quite valuable in industry right it does not corrode and it is a very good conductor right and you can also get it incredibly thin Mm. and the nice thing about gold is it's infinitely recyclable okay wow yeah so we actually have we've already because it doesn't react it doesn't break down exactly yeah, yeah. yeah, and they have done so much 
research into how to purify it from okay. all these different like because you can make alloys with it mm, and mm -hmm. so there's there's a lot of they, they know exactly how to recycle it so, so if you have some electronics that have gold in it you can reclaim that yes mm. now unfortunately some electronics it is economically viable to reclaim that but others are not designed in with recycling in mind okay they don't have end of use hmm. yeah I know some countries do like um, the Netherlands for instance when you buy something you're actually paying for the recycling at the end of its life which I think is a great system it, it, it costs a little bit more upfront for the consumer but ultimately it's a lower cost because you know there's not this poison in the earth or whatever it is that we're dealing with there's not this waste material that's in the earth you don't have to go dig it up and recycle it you can just recycle it right there at the end of its life they want to mine landfills eventually well yeah there's that and then also you know the public doesn't pay for it you're paying for it right up front as as kind of a kind of a tax in a way I, I hate to use that word because people are like oh no it's a tax but it's just taking responsibility for the thing that you're buying right the full life of it which I think is appropriate I think that's appropriate well and and also we are living on a rock flying through space and we are kind of like uh, we we really don't we're a closed system. Yes, right. we get meteorites and, and whatnot. Right. However, uh, <laughs> we're pretty limited with what we already have. And, you know, if gold is such a precious resource, why are we throwing it away? Right, right. It's also used in uh, dental work. For example, full disclosure, I actually just got a gold tooth. Yeah. I got a gold crown because the other materials were not appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, they were too brittle. Right. Gold deforms. It's not brittle. And so I have a gold tooth. You and I have the same problem. <laughs> yes. Yes. For those of you that grind your teeth. I think that's what graduates graduate studies does to people oh yes <laughs> I have a I have a degree in theology from Harvard Divinity School and you know it's just like grind yeah totally yeah but the 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 gold does deform so it doesn't crack your teeth basically right yeah, yeah. so yeah. so gold is useful in certain applications right. however we have an abundance of gold sitting in vaults right so Fort Knox you know, <laughs> down, down in Tennessee yeah yes exactly and you know we we really have more than enough gold than what we currently would ever consume in industry. Uh, a lot of gold is used for jewelry mm -hmm. or investment. Mm. That is that is the primary use of gold that we have. Mm. So we are mining this out of the earth, and and mining is dirty. Right, it is dirty. The good news is that a lot of gold jewelry is from recycled gold. Mm, great. And, great. And, and, and yeah, and there's there's even local jewelers where you can take in some old gold jewelry and they will melt it down and make new gold jewelry That's for you. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there there's kind of like, you know, we're mining these out of the hills and valleys and mountains and they're going to sit in someone's vault. Right. Right. So there's no real use for new gold that we're extracting. No. no. Yeah. No. Wow. And and so I kind of really struggled with that. And yeah. um, and what are we damaging in the process? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I really struggled with with that. 
I was stay at home. You know, I, I at this time I basically had a newborn. Mm. And, you know, that's challenging when you live here and you have no family. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I noticed there was a job listing for a group for a community organizer. Okay. Yeah. So what had happened is Save as a Save Astrodome had that group had gotten a grant to fund a position for a community organizer. Oh, great. Yes, through the Northern Alaska Environmental Center. All right, shout out to them. Yes, and (laughs) so I saw that and I had no experience in community organizing Mm. or being an activist. Right, because you were a student and and then a graduate student researcher and then basically a geologist who worked on mines. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and I I haven't worked at my... I haven't worked at mines extensively, mm-hmm. but just enough to kind of get an idea of what it's about sure. and what it's like, that what that lifestyle is. I just mean that you you weren't coming out of an activist background. No, absolutely yes. not. Right. No, mm-hmm. I came from a, my, <laughs> I was raised with oil money. Right, right. Um, and your family for three gen- generations in, is involved in economic geology. Exactly, right. Right. yes. You, you brought up, sorry to interrupt, no. but you brought up that having a child made you reassess things in your life. Can you explain that a little bit? I mean, I can guess what you're talking about, but from your own point of view. Well, I saw this job posting, and this was actually the first time I had heard about Mm. the exploration going on. Oh, really? Locally? Locally. That was the first time I had heard about it. And so I started looking into it Mm. even before I had the interview. Right, with the geologist's eye. Exactly. Mm. And I actually realized that it wasn't just Estradome. Okay, right. Yeah, there right. it, it is all over, all over the ridges. Okay. So you were looking at the actual maps. I was, mm-hmm. and I was looking into all of the exploration companies, and mm. it's it scared me. Okay, it scared me, right. and because you I, live here, I do, and like I said, I've lived at mines. I know what it's like, and yeah. I refuse. The city of Fairbanks deserves better. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to make it like save the children, think of the children, but I do not want to raise my child in a mining town. Right. Surround. You know know the dangers. I do. Well, I just know what it's like. And it's it is expensive to live here. Mm, Yeah. You know, a lot of people live here by choice. Yeah. And if we start seeing a degradation of our lifestyles, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to choose to leave. And the sad thing is, is if a mine pops up in your backyard or you get all this extra light pollution, noise pollution, dust pollution, that's going to decrease the value of your home. Mm, Wow. So when it gets to the point where you don't want to live here anymore and you've sunk all of your investment into mm. your homes that many of us have done. Right. You're going to lose a lot of money. Now it's interesting. Right, that's your that's your big asset. Exactly. If you're going to retire or something, that's usually what people will retire on and maybe move somewhere warmer. You know, if they have some health issues, maybe they'll move down to Seattle or something like that. Exactly. But then if your home loses value, Oh, what 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 are you going to do then? Well, and it's interesting because you can actually see that happening right now in Salcha. Mm, oh, really? Because of the Mancho project. Oh. There's a lot of things for sale in Salcha now. Okay. Mm. And when there's a lot of properties for sale, that means that usually the price goes down. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Besides not even thinking about what's going on around it. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to get this big project come in. You're going to have new employees come in. Mm-hmm. So maybe they can, you know, drive up, you know, help balance the mm-hmm. housing market. Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty big gamble. But you just mentioned Mancho. There's a lot of man camps that are actually being built out there and so or proposed and those are not going to be permanent residents here. Those are people not going to really, you know, become involved in or contribute to the borough, et cetera. They come in, they work, then they leave. Sometimes they cause a lot of problems while they're here. There's a lot of violence oftentimes around the camps. There's definitely a spike in especially violence against women, et cetera, drugs, alcohol, overuse, et cetera. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's a terrible situation. It's you know it can be an environmental problem as well as social, and then also we got to think about politics as well, right? What is it that our representatives are doing? Are they representing us well if they support projects like this? Yeah, there's all kinds of factors to think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know you mentioned you don't want to say the. T word tax. Um, <laughs> tax, yeah. But we have. I think eventually we're we're going to have to move towards a tax because there are things that we need to pay for that aren't being paid for. Well, I was yeah. going to say, you know, when I worked at Kensington and Pogo, a lot of those people are not state residents. Oh, and because yeah. you're working shifts, right? So you work your two weeks on or four weeks on, mm. and then you fly home to wherever that is. There's sure. a lot of people, and also there's a lot of um, specialists that we just don't have here in Alaska. Mm. For example, drilling. Right. A lot of drilling companies are based in Idaho. Oh. Uh huh. There's there's a why Idaho. Well, there's, there's, they have, they have mines there. Okay. Yeah. You know, so it just kind of depends on what's available locally. And then also, like I said, it's expensive to live here. Yeah. People may not like the climate, you know, they're here for the job. Right. Right. They're, they're here to make money. They're not here to be part of the community. Right. And that's kind of the history or, or the recent history of this place is that people come in, they take what they want and they leave. Yes. And since we don't have an income tax, you know, we are not seeing any real benefit from those people. It just it was really it was it was sad to see working at the mine how many how many people were just here to make money. Yeah. And and that's a boom and bust cycle. It's a boom town. You know, that's a classic boom town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's one of the things about here here in Alaska is that we. We've been on this boom and bust thing for a while, and and people, it's like it's almost like their memories just kind of blur that out. That is not a stable economy, you know. That that doesn't fund the things that we need in a stable way, right? We need good roads, we need good schools, we need good universities, hospitals, clinics, etc. We need all that stuff, and a boom and, boom and bust economy means that sometimes it's really good, and then other times there's nothing. Right. That's that's not how you run a society very well. Well, and then there's the argument that, for example, Fort Knox does provide a lot of donations Mm -hmm. to a lot of different organizations around town. Sure. But, you know, they don't have to do that. And who's to say that, you know, another company that might operate another mine is going to be so civically minded? Sure. Um, You know, and and also, for example, they've given a lot of money to UAF. However, 
it's only to extremely specific programs right. that will produce employees for it's them. A, it's a targeted donation. It is. Yes. It is. Yeah. So, you know, they are not necessarily giving this money out of the goodness of their heart right. all the time. Right. They want to uh, fund graduate students who are going to work for them, basically. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I um, had my son, and nothing quite prepares you for parenthood. And a lot of that comes with thinking about the future and also what's best for your family. Mm. And when I heard about all of this exploration going on, I immediately was just kind of really honestly appalled mm. that this was happening so close to right. where people live. And you're the person who has a lot of knowledge of that, and you're in a panic. I, I would listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So I'm trying not to panic, yeah. but I'm I am very concerned. I immediately start thinking about where are we going to move to because mm. if this happens, we're not going to stay here. Right. I love Fairbanks dearly, and I will be extremely sad to see if if this happens. I I honestly don't think I will be able to live here. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, not only was I having to consider what's best for my family, but I also have to consider if I want to take this job, what's best for my career? Mm, with Save Our Domes. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I if I apply for becoming a community organizer and I start making noise about, you know, saying no or at least saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the best use of our land, you know, I am never going to get a job in the industry ever again. Right. I will probably never be able to get a job with the state geophysical survey. Mm. Um, you know, I've really, I can't, I'm probably... Because they, they promote this so much, it seems like. They do. They don't want someone who's an outspoken critic mm. of this. Uh, but, I mean, that's part of the scientific process is to examine things, even if it's not like a result that is that you think is great, is to really look at something very critically. Right. It's It's been interesting shifting from kind of a scientific mode to more of a humanitarian, you know, mm. it, you know, I'm used to working with rocks and numbers. Right. That's what I worked with. Right. That's and what you, I'm comfortable with. You seem a little bit shyer. <laughs> yes. Shire kind of person. Yes. I, I, I um, was very hesitant to kind of put myself in the public right. eye. Right. And it's still on, it's terrifying um, yeah. every time you get up to say something. But it is so important that people hear about this and understand what's going on because we uh, have a little bit of a grace period right now. Mm, okay. So what's going on right now is these exploration companies are coming in and they are doing um, soil surveys, drilling, trenching. They're basically trying to find where this gold is. This is the exploration drilling. This right? is the exploration drilling. Mm -hmm. This is what's currently permitted mm -hmm. right now. And where, where, where are they allowed to do that? So they can do that on Esther Dome. They're currently doing that at Treasure Creek, which is off of Old Murphy Dome. Okay. Cleary Summit, which okay. is right, right, right where Ski Land is. Yes, right. 
And then also there's a lot of interest. Well, there's there's also Amanita, which is off of Chena Hot Springs Road. It's kind of an extension, a southern extension of Fort Knox mm. is what they're looking at there. Mm. And then there's also a lot of interest north of Fort Knox along the um, Chattanooga, so along the Steese up there. Okay. Is that like Steel Creek Road or is that past that? It's, it's a huge area. Okay. Actually, it's a huge area up there. Okay. And there's multiple exploration companies. Um, kind of what, what can happen is these exploration permits. Are they like vying for for dominance in the area? Well, so what happens is the uh, exploration permits are relatively cheap and easy to get. Mm. And so. Oh, we're just looking. We're just, so they're just grabbing up land. You know, okay. it's like, oh, there's, it's kind of a gold rush. Okay. It's a new, it's a new gold rush. Okay. And so they're grabbing up land and they can. So s- are they buying this land or they just have the rights to look at they, what's underneath the land? That's right. They have the rights to explore it. They do not have, they don't own it. Okay. Uh, sometimes they do. Okay. Sometimes they do. Um, are these public or private lands? Or, I mean, Alaska is a is kind of a mess in terms of land rights. But, right. Yeah. So to take a step step back and talk about land rights a minute is mm-hmm. most people do not own the subsurface rights to their land. There are a few... Where does that come from, by the way? Uh, well, I mean, uh, Alaska is a relatively new state, yeah. and they knew it was resource-rich, and they can, they're can they just going to say, okay, unless you have, like, if you have a Homestead Act home, mm-hmm. you own your subsurface rights, or oh. if you apply for your own mineral rights. Okay. Mm. Otherwise, it belongs to the state. Okay. All right. Um, but currently, it's, it's state lands that they're leasing. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who could potentially lose their homes. Mm, and, because drilling could be going on. Well, on. I mean, if, if a mine goes in, mm. they're going to be either they're going to be mined underneath or they're going to be right next to a mine and the mine will compensate them. However, if you're not after the fact, well, they're going to yes. have to buy you out. OK. But they have the mine has no obligation to pay off anyone that they're not actively using their land for. So if you're right adjacent to a mine, well, okay, just over the fence just or whatever. Tough luck, deal okay. with it. Wow, they're, with all the trucks going by, uh, and, yes, and the blasting and the noise. Well, and the the blasting the can dust. the blasting can be a problem because if you have a well. If you blast and remove oh. half the hillside, your water table's gonna drop. Right. Right. And they're not they're not required to pay for you to drill another, you know, hundred feet, two hundred feet, three hundred wow. feet. Wow. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of things to consider if you're gonna have a mine next to you. And I would imagine also the water quality in that well. It can. Well, and the, the, a lot of the, and, and many people know this, that there's a lot of naturally occurring arsenic mm-hmm. in the water around here. Right. So that's that's an ongoing issue. But yes, mm-hmm. water contamination. Yeah. If you bring up fresh rocks that you are creating new faces on, there's more reactivity there. Mm-hmm. And more of those substances, those harmful substances, have the potential to get into that water that you're going to drink. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, the the mining industry has done a pretty good job of advertising the benefits of mining as far as jobs. Sure. And, you know, providing paying taxes to the borough. But, you know, they don't really like to talk about what it would cost individual citizens. Right. And or the long term 
costs as well. That's right. And so for me, I I know what the industry Kool Aid is. Mm. I know exactly. You're talking about the messaging. Yes, the mm-hmm. messaging and. I I kind of want to be a counter to it. They're not wrong on certain points, but there's more to it Mm -hmm. than just jobs. There's more to it than just jobs. Right. To get more involved with Save Our Domes, contact info, I-N-F-O, at saveourdomes.org. All right, thank you very much. All right, y'all, I'll be playing this fairly soon. Thank you for listening to my show. And once again, if you need to contact me uh, for more information or if you want to be interviewed, contact me at S-H-A-N-E at K-W-R-K dot O-R-G. All right. Thanks, y'all.